<clears throat> we began last week a return to the books of First and Second Samuel. Second Samuel chapter three is where we're be today. And at the end of of Second Samuel three, we hear David say, "Today I am powerless." Even though anointed king, these men, the sons of Zariah, are too violent for me. The sons of Zariah being Joab, David's commander, Abishai, Joab's brother, and then a man who had once, Abishai was a man who had once encouraged David to impale Saul as he slept. And then Azahel, a man who had tailed and pursued the commander of a northern general of, of Israel, a guy named Abner, all these A's. <laughs> um, he sought to kill Abner, but out of self-defense and in the heat of war, although Abner had given Azahel many chances to stop his pursuit, finally Abner impaled Azahel with a spear, and we read that last week. They're too violent says David. And consequently, they're his nephews too. And it's a statement that, that, that brings to a head in many ways a consistent theme throughout the books of First and Second Samuel. In fact, the want of a king goes back to what? What did the elders of Israel say? They said, we are determined to have a king over us so that we also may be like the other nations, that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. That's the desire, fight our battles. And as for Saul, when he becomes king, he's jealous because David ends up fighting Israel's battles. And so Saul gets violent, he throws his spear at David, he He massacres an entire village of priests. He sends out his best fighting men to hunt David down. Violence, power, force. This is how I'm respected. I'm going to sound like a Quaker today, but it's okay. You're in a Quaker church. And it makes no sense when David catches Saul in a cave relieving himself. And David has the ability right then and there to put an end to Saul. It makes no sense when when Abishai, when the entire army is sleeping and Saul's just lying there next to the spear that he's tried to impale David with. But in both instances, David does not fight the way Saul has fought. He chooses mercy. He chooses God's providence. But in, in that culture and in ours, Sometimes we say he's choosing weakness, powerlessness. Will David ever grow a backbone? Will he find that fierceness that led him to slay the giant? Or was it fierceness, power, and strength then that led him to slay the giant? Or what was it? We've we've had brewing civil war in the book of the Bible, maybe here too, but but we, we looked at two king, kingdoms, the, the north, the uncle of Saul, a general named Abner, installed a puppet king through Saul's son, 
Ishbosheth. He's also named Ishbael. In the translation I'm reading, we'll be using Ishbael now. But Ishbosheth likely means a name put on him after the fact, because Ishbosheth this just means man of shame. Whereas Ishbael means son of a leader, I believe. And so Ishbael was really at the whim of Abner. Meanwhile, David was installed as a king in Hebron, a southern city. Highest point in Israel. There's no Jerusalem yet. That's still a couple of chapters later. And so David's nephews, Joab, Abishai, and Azahel, they go out and they meet Abner and his soldiers at Gibeon. And they have this battle and it escalates. And Azahel, a little cocky, thinking he's going to get to bring Abner's dead gear back to David. Maybe that was his his hope. I don't know what he was thinking, but he pursues this obviously much more talented, much more experienced general of Israel, of Ishbael's lot, Abner. And Abner is telling him the whole time, stop your pursuit. You'll wind up dead, you cocky kid. Well, the, the cocky kid doesn't listen, and sure enough, Abner stops the pursuit by shifting his spear backwards and impaling him. Abner then talks some sense into Joab, and he basically says, do we really want to do this? Kill each other? Not too long ago, under Saul, we were united. That's the sort of thinking. So they call it off. But then we're going to see out of the gate today in our text that it's not a long truce. It's it's going to be civil war. So we're going to pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 3. I'm going to preach the entire chapter, but I would just invite you to stand for the first 11 verses if you're able. So let's stand in honor of hearing and reading the Lord, the word of the Lord, not the Lord of the word. <laughs> we read, there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. Sons were born to David at Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam of Jezreel. His second, Chiliab of Abigail, the widow of Nabal at Carmel, of Carmel. The third, Absalom, son of Maacah, daughter of King Talmai of Jeshur. The fourth, Adonijah, son of Haggith. The fifth, Shephathiah, son of Abital. And the sixth, Ithrium of David's wife, Eglah. These were born to David in Hebron. While there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Now Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, daughter of Aah. And Ishbael said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? The words of Ishbael made Abner very angry. He said, Am I a dog's head for Judah? Today I keep showing loyalty to the house of your father, Saul, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not given you into the hand of David. And yet you charge me now with a crime concerning this woman. So may God do to Abner, and so may he add to it. For just what the Lord has sworn to David, that will I accomplish for him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul, and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah, from Dan to Beersheba. And Ishbael could not answer Abner another word, because he feared him. Let's pray. Father, we look to, yet again, what might first appear to us as old Hebrew history and itineraries, and this happened and that happened. But Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that this was written for our instruction. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, knowing you were present 
authoring these events recorded for us. And you were present for the events themselves. We trust, Holy Spirit, that you have reasons and purpose to speak into our hearts and our minds that we might exalt Jesus and be more like him through whatever you intend to teach to us through these words. So open up our hearts, open our minds, and give us listening ears to your words. Say what it is that you desire and get me out of the way. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to handle this entire chapter in three movements. The first that we just read is called The Strength of Kings and Generals. Then we're going to look at men's plans and God's plans. And then lastly, we will be looking at violent men and weak strength. First, let us look over the strength of kings and generals. And from that first war we read last week where Abner killed Azahel. Man, I'm getting my A's even mixed up on my manuscript. (laughs) So I'm having to correct while I preach. Again, Azahel, one of David's nephews, the author let lets us know the, the casualty count after that battle. David's side suffered 20 losses, while Ishbael's side, Abner's side, lost 360. So it's no wonder then that there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. But now it's interesting in some ways how the author then illustrates on how is David's house stronger while Saul's house, Ishbael's, is weaker. Now, last week, we, we again, we saw that casualty count. We may think, well, it's the strength, it's the skill, it's the success of the armies. But now the author takes a not altogether uncommon approach of how a kingdom is getting stronger and stronger through women. <laughs> Verse 2 says, sons were born to David at Hebron. I don't know why I'm reading this to you again, just to, I don't know, self-torture to pronounce all these names. His firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam of Jezreel, second Caleb of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. That is a very hard phrase to say. The third, Absalom, son of Maacah, daughter of King Telmai of Jeshur. The fourth, Adonijah, son of Haggith. The fifth, Shephatiah, son of Abital, and the sixth, Ithream, of David's wife, Eglah. These were born to David in Hebron. If you know your Bibles, and these stories especially, you know that these are all foreshadows of tragedy to come. Amnon would, would violate his own sister, though he was the heir apparent. Absalom would seek revenge himself, as David seems to do little to reprimand Amnon. Adonijah would try to keep the throne for himself when a yet unlisted son is set to take it, Solomon. And then the other part we we might see also is every time David's been brought up in 1 Samuel, we get to see about two to three wives in 1 Samuel. So now this list of six wives, not to mention Solomon's mother later in that whole issue. And, And we also don't see it in most translations, but do you think, and I think this is worth bringing up, you know that Abigail, the widow, is actually in the Hebrew, uh, the wife of um, Nabal. And 
We in English just note Nabal is dead. We've read that story. And the English is obviously widow. But I think the author wants us to see this truth that Abigail belonged to someone else. And now David has her. Again, as a foreshadow, a forewarning that David's going to have a lusting problem. Perhaps with the amount of wives he already does have a lusting problem. Now some will say, well, that's just the way the culture, the times. You advance kingdoms by strategic marriages. Such as this one, the daughter of King Talmai of Jeshur, it was a kingdom north of Ishbael. In other words, David was marrying and likely trying to take land north of North Israel, the opponent kingdom, if you will, to put pressure on the land he eventually wanted. But we still have to bear in mind what the Bible tells us. God wanted Israel to be a people of his own possession, a unique and distinct people. Where the world has poly, was polytheistic, Israel was to be monotheistic. Where the world has kings up until Saul, Israel was seen to be following God directly. And God told Samuel how displeased he was that Israel was choosing a monarchy. But then God put forward David as a man after his own heart. And in Deuteronomy, God did make allowances for kings. It should be be stated here too that, that even though God set up allowances for kings, it is plainly evident in 1 Samuel 8 that Israel was not following the heart of what God wanted for a king. In any case, in Deuteronomy 17.17, 17, it states as far as a king in Israel grow, goes, he says, and he must not acquire many wives for himself. Solomon followed that one, right? Or else his heart will turn away. If David's strength comes from strategic and many marriages, it is evident by the rest of 2 Samuel and heading into 1 Kings, it's also his downfall. Interestingly, this talk of women surrounding kings is what makes for the reality that Ishbael's kingdom is also weakening. The author turns up north again to record for us, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner, this again is the general, and I, I argued that it seems to show up itself here that he's the puppet master of the puppet king of the north of North Israel. Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Verse seven. Now Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, daughter of Aiah, and Ishbael said to Abner, "Why have you gone into my father's concubine?" So in this culture. Not only did kings have lots of women, but these women were untouchable outside of the king. Um, and if you touch them, it was tantamount to treason. Solomon, in 1 Kings 2, 19-22, he's approached by his mother, who basically says, why don't you just give this concubine over to your brother, Adonijah? He accuses his mother of, isn't this treason? That's rather presumptuous. And this was rather presumptuous of Abner if he was doing it. We never see Abner respond to this specific charge with confirmation or denial. But the words of Ishmael made Abner very angry. He said, am I a dog's head for Judah? Dogs were basically skunks for Israelites. And it could be dog's head is a playful euphemism for the other side. And, and then he's saying, am I a dog's head for Judah, Judah being their enemies? So he's just saying, am I that base to you? Today, 
I keep showing loyalty to the house of your father Saul, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not given you into the hand of David. And I would say, all the cards are on the table right now. (laughs) Abner just revealed what, what he thinks. I'm in control. I've kept your kingdom nice and clean and squeaky, pal. And you charge me with this charge with this woman? Notice again, he's not denying or receiving the charge. He's just upset that he's been called out. So he continues... So may God do to Abner, and so may he add to it. For just what the Lord has sworn to David, that will I accomplish for him to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. And Ishbael could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. Again, we see really who is in charge here. In front of Ishbael, Abner so upset he threatens to work to his dying day calls God to strike him down if he fails to make David the king over Israel to make him the next Saul. And Ishbael is so upset, so afraid, he says no more. Again, he's always been the puppet. But this brings us to consider something. Abner, the so-called citizen in Yahweh's kingdom, he might be a master schemer. He might be instrumental in bringing David into his full kingship. But another king, away from Yahweh's people, years on down the road, a king of Babylon, he learned through humiliation. He says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he, God, does what he wills with the host of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? Years ago, while Saul was sinning and disobeying, Yahweh said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. In other words, God has been planning for David to be king over Israel, and over Israel and Judah, if you want to use it that way. And whether sinners be sinning or saints be obeying, it seems like God has plans to make this happen. He does what he wills, and no one can stay his hand. Abner sent messages to David at Hebron saying, To whom does the land belong? This question does beg to be answered. Is Abner saying, He owns it? So he can do what he wants with it? Or is he saying it rightfully belongs to you, David? Or is Abner confessing it's really Yahweh's, and so he, because he has decreed whose it is, maybe it's a little of three in Abner's mind. In any case, he says to David, Make your covenant with me, and I will give you my support to bring all Israel over to you. He, David, said, Good. I will make a covenant with you, but one thing I require of you, You shall never appear in my presence unless you bring Saul's daughter, Michael, when you come to see me. Then David sent messengers to Saul's son, Ishbael, saying, Give give to me my wife, Michael, to whom I became engaged at the price of 100 foreskins of the Philistines. I'm just thinking, another woman. (laughs) Now, I get it. It was his wife. But, It also makes you wonder a moment with all the women, particularly Michael, from what we can gather, was David's first wife. 
If you remember, David slays Goliath. He's slowly brought into Saul's kingdom, or his administration, to use a contemporary term. And then for reasons of both showing him favor, Saul showing David favor because he's popular, but also to keep an eye on him, Saul decides to marry off his daughter Michael to David. But he also wants David dead. (laughs) So he says, all you need to do is go grab a hundred foreskins off Philistines for me. That's the bride price. I don't think David the uh, shepherd had some money, so, and he's the king, Saul is, so. David doesn't reveal it here to Ishbael, but even though the price was a hundred, what did he manage to bring in? Two hundred. I'll one-up you. Sounds like those Philistines. And that's the other weird thing. I'm thinking, you know, if David could take down a, a giant, I don't know if any size of Philistine is going to bother him. <laughs> when things get really heated, and it was pretty much public knowledge that Saul was out to kill David, while David was on the run and in many of his hideouts, Saul takes Michael away to marry someone else. First King 25:44. There seems to have been no formal divorce Likely Saul was just hoping he would eventually kill David and not worry about the paperwork. (laughs) Well, David didn't die, and Saul did. And though Ishbael is the son of Saul, still trying to reign, we have David taking back Saul's daughter, and it's likely for this reason. He wants to be seen in some way as a son of Saul within Saul's family. And it's true, there is tangible evidence that David was once kindly and nicely and associated with Saul's family. That might add a little bit more legitimacy to his secession as he comes into his kingship. But with all of David's other women, it makes us wonder, especially that the author then goes out of his way, it seems, to give us this small vignette of Michael leaving her most recent husband. We read, Ishbael uh, sent and took her from her husband, Paltiel, the son of Laish, but her husband went with her weeping as he walked behind her all the way to Bahurim. Then Abner said to him, go back home. So he went back. The author, the Holy Spirit, wanted us to see something here. The husband was heartbroken to be losing his wife. Meanwhile, there are no communicated emotions or affection between David and Michael anymore, save one moment. David dances in public before the ark of the Lord. And she, quote, despised him in her heart and then criticizes him. And then we hear, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. I don't think it's reading too much into this chapter to suggest that the author is revealing a pattern when it comes to David and his usage of women. If he is to be a king in Yahweh's kingdom, it's supposed to look different from the world. It's a a foreshadow, I believe, of a climax of sin of this sort when it comes to Bathsheba. For now, much to the grief of her second husband, Michael is taken from one likely intimate, monogamous husband and back into this harem and house of David to live the rest of her life. How exciting. Meanwhile... Abner sent word to the elders of Israel saying, For some time past, you have been seeking David as king over you. Now then, bring it about. For the Lord has promised David, Through my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from all their enemies. I could have paused a while back. Do you remember when Abner was chewing out his puppet, Ishbael? 
he said, For just what the Lord has sworn to David, that will I accomplish for him to transfer the, the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David. What the Lord has sworn to David, or what he says here, for the Lord has promised David through my servant David, thus and so. It sounds like Abner knows and believes a few things about the relationship between Yahweh and David. It seems apparently God's decree of David's kingship seems to be more or less public knowledge. Instead of just Samuel before he died and David. In fact, we do know Samuel told Saul to his face that not only had he been rejected, but God was giving the kingdom to a neighbor better than he. Saul, in one of those opportunities where he was spared, not speared, by David, Saul professed, now I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Among Abner's probably many jobs was Saul's bodyguard, and so he probably knows the ins and outs and the fact that Samuel supported David. But isn't it interesting that Abner, after his puppet kingdom fails with Ishbael, well, now he's willing to accept and work towards David being king, even though he's probably known it for quite some time. Abner also spoke directly to the Benjaminites. That's a prominent tribe in the north, and it's the one Abner led out to do battle where he killed Azahel, David's nephew. Now Abner needs to explain why they need to unite behind this David guy. Then Abner went to tell David at Hebron all that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin were ready to do. When Abner came with 20 men to David at Hebron, David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. Abner said to David, Let me go and rally all Israel to my lord the king in order that they may make a covenant with you and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David dismissed Abner and he went away in peace. So as Abner told Ishbael he would, Abner is now on a PR campaign for David. David has his support. Knowing that Abner was Saul's bodyguard, instrumental in setting up Ishbael's reign, and he's now coming to David's side, tells me more than anything that Abner seems to be in it for himself. <laughs> he wants to survive with whoever's winning. I don't know if it goes further than that. He has shown signs of a little decency. He did not want to kill Azahel. He did not want to start civil war. But because he did kill Azahel out of self-defense, Azahel's brother did think more evil motivations with Abner. We see that next in our last movement, violent men and weak strength. Picking it up in verse 22, just then the servants of David arrived with Joab from a raid, bringing much spoil with them. Only a few months or maybe years prior, when David was last hiding out from Saul in Philistia, David himself was conducting raids on southern Israelite towns that were likely still inhabited by enemies that Joshua didn't take out. It could be these are the same towns that Joab and the men are raiding. But... Abner was not with David at Hebron, for David had dismissed him, and he had gone away in peace. Notice this is the second time. he gone away in peace. he gone away in peace. This is intentional. It'll show up again. The author wants us to know that as far as David and Abner is concerned, there was peace. Verse 23. When Joab and all the army that was with him came, it was told Joab, Abner, son of Ner, came to the king, 
and he has dismissed him, and he has gone away in peace. (laughs) Then Joab went to the king and said, What have you done? Abner came to you. Why did you dismiss him so that he got away? You know that Abner, son of Ner, came to deceive you and to learn your comings and goings and to learn that all you are doing. He came as a spy. He's with Ishbael. That's Joab's line, and it would be easy enough to both say and believe, but the author hopes we all know know that Joab has one thing on his mind. Revenge. Abner killed Joab's brother, Azahel. When Joab came out from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the cistern of Sirah, that's about two and a half miles from Hebron. But David did not know about it. When Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gateway to speak with him privately. Now, gateways, the gates of towns, likely especially Hebron, they were complex structures and rooms and compartments, not just a big concrete or wooden great structure. You think about Joshua 2 and Rahab's apartment. Her apartment was on the city wall, the gate. So these are the sort of buildings and things that were in city gates. Likely somewhere private, this is Joab, the commander of David's army. And if Abner wanted to stick on David's good side, no doubt, he couldn't do anything but follow Joab. Joab, who had just accused Abner of deceiving David, now deceives Abner. And there, Joab stabbed Abner in the stomach, So he died for shedding the blood of Azahel, Joab's brother. That's the real reason Joab didn't want anything with Abner to do in the kingdom. But this is a big loss because I've, as I've been saying, Abner's been the real king of the north, right? He holds Ishbael on a string and he just told David, I'm going to rally all Israel to you. How is this going to look? Abner goes down to confer with David and he doesn't make it back alive? (laughs) It's one step forward and two steps back. I just want to, I just want to step back too and say, as hard as it might be to hear, shame on Joab, really. And some say, but his brother died. Yeah, in a war, after being told not to pursue, after considerable warnings. But when Azahel dies, it's not his fault, it's angry old Abner's fault. And Joab murders Abner here, not in battle, not in a war, It's a murder of a potential ally. Joab cares nothing for the precarious state of his king David and his kingdom. He cares nothing for the future, for what's happening, for how the northern state of Israel would take it. Joab cares for nothing, for no one, but his own pain and his own thoughts. And I bring this up because how many of us think we're so self-righteous? we got to have something done right. Maybe an old score we think needs settled, an old insult we need to pay back, or maybe something self-righteous, some injustice we think we can rectify, and without any counsel, without any thought as to how anyone else might take it, because our own counsel just must be enough, so we go ahead and do it. We don't think it through. Joab's rash actions that he can couch in all sorts of noble, nice Righteous-sounding reasons. He's already played a few on David. He's here to spy on us. He's going to go report back to Israel. He could be telling others, Abner took one of our own. He took the commander-in-chief's brother down in war. 
He's the one who set up Ishmael's kingdom. He's our primary foe. When the bottom line is, is as the author has let us in on, there are other people around Joab who know more about the situation, who know more about Abner than Joab either knew or was willing to admit. And I think that's the issue. Sometimes, Joabs, we we have Abners we do not like. And we will let no one convince us otherwise. Abner will always be evil. When Abner was in the situation with my friend or my family member, with Azahel, he was wrong and he will never be innocent. I've been in so many situations where there's been an Abner who was in a vulnerable place and some Joab comes along and they make more pain, more suffering, and more problems. And for Abner, or for Joab, Joab was completely unaware where Abner was, what he was doing. If he only knew. And the sad thing is, is that Joab likely did know, but he still wanted to make pain for Abner. Can I just say, you never know a person's situation. You never know a person's situation. But they did me wrong. You know, there's still such a thing as take the high road. And the high road hurts. Take it anyways. You're big people. You can get your pants on. And I want to say, too, if that if you've been an Abner in a situation, and maybe Joab didn't murder you in cold blood, obviously you're still here. But boy, he might as well have. I'm still going to say that you and I still need to take the high road. You don't need to do revenge. You don't need to do to, 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 to Joab what he did to you. Do what needs to be done, but then take the high road. Collateral damage happens. For Joab, it was all about Azahel dying and Abner paying, but the reality is, is that nations are implicated. David is implicated. What is David going to do? Afterward, when David heard of it, he said, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, son of Ner. May the guilt fall on the head of Joab and on all of his father's house, and may the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge or who is leprous, who holds a spindle, or who falls by the sword, who lacks food. David is distancing himself immediately from this death. It's like when the president says at a press conference, that cabinet member acted alone, I'm going to fire him. He doesn't speak for me here. Only David doesn't intend to fire Joab. It's a cruddy situation all around. He didn't want Abner to die, but he can't dispense of Joab either. Abner may have held the strings of Ishbael, and while I wouldn't say Joab does the same for David, the truth is, is, Joab is the one responsible for much of Judah's victories lately. He's a popular figure. And no doubt people are going to eat up Abner had it coming lines. And so David moves to curse him. Which holds more weight in their day than it does in ours. And I should say, it's more like David and everyone in his day knew more about curses than we do. The odds are, is we're just lacking in our understanding on the power of words. One of the first things I heard in elementary school that I believe is a lie to this day is, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Bull. (laughs) David wants everyone to know 
that he did not know or approve of Joab killing Abner, and he curses Joab. His curse is basically that there will always be a wounded, an injured, or a tragically lost, poor, hungry man, or, or what's this? I, I don't know Old English. Holds a spindle. <laughs> yes. The work of spinning. And that's usually what a woman did. So it's like David is saying, may none of the other Joab's family members ever rise to the profession that he has, a warrior. Let him be reserved to those jobs usually fit for women. So Joab and his brother, Abishai, murdered Abner. So it sounds like Abishai, Joab, and Azahel's other brother was in on it because he had killed their brother Azahel in the battle of Gibeon. Then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, Tear your clothes and put on sackcloth. Mourn over Abner. And King David followed the buyer. That's our idea of a casket. They buried Abner at Hebron. The king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. The king lamented for Abner, saying, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Quick side note, the word for fool is the same as Nabal. I'll let you go read 1 Samuel 25 and make those own comparisons for yourself. Your hands were not bound. Your feet were not fettered. That's a poetic way of saying he was innocent. He wasn't being charged with anything. He wasn't deserving of this. Even so, David notes, as one fall before the wicked you have fallen. And all the people wept over him again. You know this is not America. (laughs) Then all the people came to persuade David to eat something while it was still day. But David swore, saying, So may God do to me and more if I taste bread or anything else before the sun goes down. So some who are pessimistic would say, David is laying it on thick. He's putting on a show. He wants to really convince Israel, especially the north, that he's so sad over over Abner. And I would say that's a result or a natural consequence of what the truth is. David feels this. This sort of behavior enrages David. Maybe it's because he came close to it himself with Nabal before Abigail stopped him. You can read again, read about that in 1 Samuel 25. But we know he resisted twice with King Saul. And the bottom line is this is not how David operates. All the people took notice of it, and it pleased them. Just as everything the king did pleased all the people. Isn't it interesting how we thought, oh boy, Abner's going to unite Israel. He did. <laughs> not in the way he thought. He would. It seems like God knew what he was doing. So all the people in all Israel understood that day that the king had no part in the killing of Abner, son of Ner. And the king said to his servants, Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? Today I am powerless, even though anointed king. These men, the sons of Zeruiah, David's sister, are too violent for me. The Lord pay back the one who does wickedly in accordance with his wickedness. Today I am powerless, says David, and these men are too violent for me. What is strength and what is weakness? Some people will say strength is what Azahel tried to do. Pursue the biggest, meanest villain or die trying. Some people say strength is what Joab follows through. Revenge, eye for an eye. Take Abner down. He had it coming. Some people like Joab's brother Abishai wished for on David. Take advantage when those tyrant kings are within striking distance. 
I wonder if strength is God in the flesh being arrested and appealing to his father who will at once send Christ more than 12 legions of angels. But Christ doesn't do that. David never took Saul. He even lamented Saul's death. And he didn't take Abner here, but he lamented him. You could say, I wonder if David almost showed love for his enemies. I wonder if he prayed for those who persecuted for him, persecuted him. What is strength? Maybe it's not more wives, more political connections, though David has those. Maybe it's not an ability to scheme, connive, and make connections politically and beneficially. Maybe it's not having the ability to enact revenge or take no thought to anyone else or anything else but to fulfill your desires. Maybe strength, the kind of strength God looks for is, I don't know, maybe to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. To do justice and say, this man was trying to forge an alliance with Judah, with Yahweh's chosen king. To love kindness and say, he did not deserve Joab's murder. Rather, we deserve to walk humbly together. I don't know where this hits you. I don't know where Second Samuel 3, the Lord is speaking to you. Maybe, Maybe he's saying... Where you think your strength comes from does not impress me. I hope you don't have multiple spouses, and if you do, we'll talk later. But I wonder if lately you've been more impressed with yourself than God's been impressed with you. He doesn't care if you have X, Y, Z. He cares if you do the will of the Father. He cares if you love him. Maybe you've been making plans or you thought you had plans, but they look like they're going to pot. There's an uncalculated factor causing havoc. And you need reminded there's man's plans and then there's God's plans and and God's plan will still prevail. Even if people work against it or people think they're in charge, God's in charge. Maybe you're Joab and you're hellbent on your Abner and you really just need to stop before other people get hurt. Or even Abner gets hurt. And it's really unjust that he should get hurt. But maybe you've taken counsel with both you and yourself. And you've thought, you've all thought about this. But you've not taken counsel with God or anyone else, and you should. And you should stop. Maybe you're convinced that Christ does not teach peace and diplomacy, but he teaches brute strength and violence. And without being a diplomat myself, the fact is, is you're wrong and you need to repent. The fact is, is if God was as addicted to wrath as much as you were, you would be long gone. I don't know where this hits you, but I do know that now is a good time to respond as he would have you respond. Amen? Let's pray. Father, as soon as we start peeling back the hard names and we get the geography down, we realize we're, re- we're reading about human beings who deal, deal with the same emotions and intrigue and problems that we have. And as Paul has said, and as I brought up at the beginning, you've written this down for us. Help us to act like the greater King David. Our 
first inclination might be at times to look in the Bible and look for what we would call the protagonist and the heroes and say, that's me, that's where I would be. But I wonder if we're the antagonists. I wonder if we're the Joabs. I wonder if we're the Abners. I wonder if in some ways we're David in his lowest days. Whoever we are, I pray, Holy Spirit, that not only would you convict us today, but then we would yield to you and respond obediently and do what you're calling us to do. Would we stop pursuing our Abners? Father, would we stop making our own kingdoms and yield and build your kingdom? Father, we just pray that you would help us to be obedient. Thank you that you are long-suffering. Thank you that you don't have the wrath that we have sometimes, but you are merciful. You're gracious, you're patient, you're kind. Your word tells us your kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. So help us to respond to the kindness you put forward in Christ, dying for our sins, rising again, and help us by that same spirit to repent. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.